I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where one of them colorful shopping mall maps would be really handy right now in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 5, which begins with Max getting to his feet and throwing fists, and it ends with a band of soggy warboys clamoring to chase Max. It's nothing worse than a soggy warboy. <laughs> okay, real quick. The person on the Great British Bake Off who talks about soggy bottoms, that's not a dude, right? It's like an old lady. I'm actually not sure. It's not just one person that talks about it. The Great British Bake Off that I have seen is the Bake Off version, which means it's the British version. It was aired in England. The one with Paul Hollywood and I want to say Sherry's Berries, but it's not. (laughs) You know. But it's not the British version? No, it is. When they started airing it in America, they couldn't call it the Bake Off anymore because the Pillsbury Company has the annual Bake Off. Okay. They have that term copyrighted. So oh, they okay. called it the Great British Baking Show, something okay. like that. The name changed. Not all the hosts and judges came over with it either. There was a transition. Gotcha. All right. Well, Soggy Bottoms. Ha ha yeah. ha. It's a reference. Yes, it Not is. Not a good one, but hey. Whatever. What can you do? I guess you could start thrashing around and punching dudes. Uh, yeah. Max here at the top of minute five is jumping to his feet and punching guys left and right. The dude who was about to brand Max gets a fist right in the face there and gets knocked down. And then Max starts hauling off down a hallway and there's a war boy there that gets in his way. Bad idea because Max puts his shoulder right into that guy's gut, lifts him up off the ground And I think he might actually lift him so high as to make him hit the ceiling because he goes to a certain height and then falls off to the side. So either he's hitting the ceiling or he's just reaching an apex of a throw. But it's a rough hit. It is a rough hit. I was having trouble finding what you were talking about, but I found it and it is pretty rough. Mm -hmm. There's enough power there for him to go a lot further, but I think he hits that ceiling pretty hard. And so Max is off to the races shoving his way through a set of doors and going down a hallway with all of these war boys hot on his heels. From the looks of the place, the interior of the Citadel is a series of caves lined by large pipes, probably moving water, because that's what their resource is. But what I like about it is that there seem to be holes cut in the ceilings of these tunnels with daylight streaming through. Now, either we're at the top of the spire... Or Joe and his war boys have drilled down into the top of these spires and have daylight reflectors going down to light these corridors. Well, we are at the top of the spire because later on in this minute, about halfway through this minute, Max makes it to the grate. Hmm. And we can see through the grate. It is all green. So this is the top level. Okay. I wasn't quite sure, like... Is this a mid-floor? Is this an upper floor? I assumed it was an upper floor because of what we see Mm -hmm. at the end of this week. But I wasn't quite sure how close we were. And I like the idea of there being holes drilled in the Citadel that let light filter down. Yeah. That way you're not using energy to light the place. 
Right. Throughout the movie, when we're at the Citadel, we see clever things. Mm-hmm. Things that require engineering and smarts. So there's no reason not to think that they have figured out a way to light the interior with natural light. And it's definitely appreciated here. Of course, it provides us with lovely dramatic lighting, which really works for the war boys. It makes them look spectacular, Mm -hmm. especially when they get all clustered up together and they're like pushing over each other, clawing their way to be the first one. If they would just learn to work together, they probably would have caught Max. Yeah, they they glow under this natural light. It's really fantastic. I don't know if it's paint or chalk or what they use to tint themselves, but it's pretty resilient. It is, and it's so thorough. It's not like Screw Loose, where his is very clearly a paint or a clay rub of some kind, and it's not that thorough. You can see the cracks where it's dried, and he loses it pretty quickly. He has to maintain it. So these guys, whatever they're using, there is more of a sophistication to the method. They are advancing as a civilization, for better or worse. (laughs) As Max makes his way down this hallway, he reaches a dead end and has to suddenly start running off to the right. And as he passes through this doorway into this tunnel, there is a war boy who was just minding his own business, carrying a sack, and Max plows right into him and knocks him up against the wall. The guy drops what he was carrying. And then as Max keeps running, the other war boys catch up. And this guy just got pushed against the wall and he's fallen over, I think. And these war boys are clamoring over this guy to keep chasing Max. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. He's just minding his own business. They're not team players. They just trampled right over that guy. And we know that they are not all in the greatest of health. No. (laughs) And if this guy was carrying a sack of something, he's probably not a warrior war boy. He is a errand war boy. (laughs) So maybe he's not strong enough to be a warrior war boy. So getting knocked to the ground and trampled, not good. Not good. I would argue that no matter what your health is, any amount of trampling... It's bad. (laughs) Yes. The official stance of the Mad Max minute is that getting trampled is bad (laughs) for the person being trampled. And also, in a way, for the people doing the trampling. But let's not point fingers because we're too busy trying to chase Max through these corridors. And the next place that we come to is a larger cavern than the place that we started in. And it looks like, lo and behold, here is Max's interceptor, but it is being dismantled by a crew of war boys and black fingers and whatnot. Which is mirroring another scene from Thunderdome when he finds his car, his camel truck, in the mechanic shop being worked on. Mm -hmm. Except this time, Max doesn't really care that much. (laughs) In Thunderdome, he was willing to do quite a lot to claim it as his own and to take a stand. But now he's much more concerned with survival because, frankly, that's his only job. I do like that he hesitates for a moment. He gets to the door of the room. He stops. He sees what's happening. And he looks back into the hallway. And I have to wonder if he's weighing the pros and cons. Can I make a stand here? Can I fight off the guys that are sanding off the paint of my car? Can I do something in order to stay close to the car, and he determines in a split second, no, I need to keep moving. 
I do appreciate that he does appear to think about his car. And I like that in reference to his, like I said before, his only job is survival. And he said his only job is survival. But he still has an affection for that car Mm -hmm. that at the very least gives him pause on the job of survival. Going back to the continuing theme of these war boys not being team players. Max is standing in the doorway. There's a great commotion behind him. And there's a war boy off to the left side of the screen. And he's just sitting there, I think, polishing a wrench or something like that. Mm -hmm. He's standing next to this crane that has pulled the blower up off of the car to remove it. And there are other black fingers that are using these. uh, I don't know if they're orbital sanders or if they're grinders. I don't know what things are called. Circular grinders. I don't know exactly what they're called because I'm not good that way and if i was good that way i would have looked up exactly what they were but what these guys are doing is they are pulling the useful things off of the interceptor and they are cleaning all the paint off because they are stripping away its identity they are taking away the grime and the dirt and the uniqueness of it so that it can be made carte blanche so to speak And I forget where I saw it, but I saw somewhere that them peeling the paint and the rust off of the Interceptor, they're doing to the car what they do to themselves. They paint themselves white. They cover themselves in engine tattoos. All of Joe's vehicles are stripped of that painted covering. You think of the Bigfoot monster truck. That thing is all just stainless steel because they're stripping away as much of the corruption of the outside world as they can i was gonna say individuality that too these war boys they are fanatics they are blind followers of this would you call this a religion a cult oh i would definitely call it a cult a cult okay yeah they blindly follow him joe and yeah they paint themselves white they make themselves exactly the same So with a band of war boys closing in on him in the hallway, Max decides to abandon the car and he does this Dukes of Hazard dive over the car. And there's another contributor note here that points out that the black finger on the right side of the screen is a little person, which continues the tradition of differently abled mechanics. On the right side before it flips around or after it flips around? When Max leaps over... The car. Yes, I see him. It's quick. I deposit mm-hmm. in just the right place. And I almost feel bad for these black fingers because they're just trying to do a job. They're trying to peel away the dirt and grime layers to get to the good metal underneath. And all of a sudden, this crazy guy runs through, leading this cadre of pursuers. And the black fingers have to stand back from their grinding so that they don't accidentally chop a war boy as they're running by. I'm wondering in the hierarchy of the Citadel, who ranks higher and who ranks lower? Warboys or Blackfingers? There are arguments for each. Warboys are the warriors. And in society, all the way down to high school, they're the jocks. They're the most popular. They're perceived as the most valuable. They're the strongest. But in this society where vehicles are so important and so valued, you would think that the mechanics would be the jocks. Of the Citadel. I don't know if I want to start assigning high school nicknames, but I think <laughs> if we're talking about the hierarchy of the Citadel, the Warboys rank below the Blackfingers. Okay. There might be a lot of prestige that goes along with being a Warboy and going out and performing some bold act 
being witnessed by others and going to the gates of Valhalla, and there'll be plenty of talk for that because we haven't even gotten close to discussing that whole mythos yet. Mm -hmm. But as amazing as it might be for them to die in service of the Immortan, they don't keep the machines running in the same way that the Black Fingers would. Very true. The War Boys seem to be more flash than substance. Mm. Although they definitely have some substance to them. They're not shallow. Yeah. But they do have an awful lot of flash to them. There is a war boy sitting to the side, just kind of watching and hanging out. Is he a guard? Is he on the job? He might just be a tool fetcher. Maybe. But then we see two mechanics who aren't dressed up in anything special. They're dressed up in the tools of their trade. Mm -hmm. But they're getting real work done. One thing's for sure. The war boys do not lack enthusiasm. Not at all. Not one ounce. Because they are just as, if not more acrobatic in their leaping over the interceptor. Oh my goodness. Wastefully. Wastefully. I think the third or so one over the car just flat out does a somersault over the car. I love how bothered you get when people do flashy tricks and moves you're so obsessed with conservation of energy exactly that's exactly what it is conservation of energy if they want to outlast max and have enough energy to be able to keep up with him and to be able to fight him why waste it doing a somersault over the car because no one ever got turned away from the gates of valhalla (laughs) who did a somersault I will give you that. I think that goes right back to what we were talking about a moment ago, that the war boys are an awful lot of flash. (laughs) They are there to be witnessed. Mm -hmm. And the flashier you are, the more shiny and chrome you are by relation. And in a profession that strips you of your identity, you then have to go make your identity in other ways mm-hmm. by being the guy who did a somersault over the car. <laughs> if I knew that guy's name, I would remember who that guy is. He's the guy who did the somersault over the car. I don't remember any of the other guys as different. I just love arguing both sides. So Max continues running. He goes around to Ben and past the camera and he gets to a section of hallway and it's flooded and he stops and he looks back and he's like, okay, Do I want to wade into this water? I don't know what's in this water, if it's good or not. But he's chased so closely that he has to go into it. And halfway across, he notices, oh, no, there's more war boys coming. So he is now stuck between two bands, waist deep in water. And the only way out of it he can see is to grab a chain and start climbing. I give him so much credit for never giving up and just... Never surrendering? Yes. Don't (laughs) stop doing that. For continuing to choose to fight and to keep looking for a way out, even if it's dumb. What did he think was going to happen here? He climbs this chain and gets to the top. And now what? He's just dangling from the grate. Well, one good thing about this is that it explains to us why there is a randomly flooded section of hallway. Because on the other side of this grate is a whole bunch of plants. This is a hydroponic-style growing situation. I did not look into hydroponic growing because there is a section that better shows off this style of setup. That's later on, so we'll talk about it there. The important thing is that whatever water goes in the hydroponic system falls through the grate and collects in this hallway. This hallway is a storm drain, basically. All that water is just runoff. Yes, it is. (laughs) 
in my notes, I called it a drainage ditch. Yeah, that's about right. And so Max is hanging there. And I guess there's a possibility that he would have been able to climb up onto the grate and then find a loose section of it and I guess climb up through it. It seems very unlikely. And I think when Max reaches the top, he kind of realizes, okay, this is a dead end. (laughs) Yes, that doesn't really deter him much. He positions himself as far out away from the wall as he can, and he gets distracted. Mm -hmm. He's looking up through these bars, and suddenly, who is there looking down through the bars at him but Glory the Child, the little hallucination that keeps following him around, And she goes, Max, is that you? Just to introduce that into the story again, this whole week, it seems, is very hallucination heavy. Yes, it is. While we've got her here, would you like to know about Glory and the actress that plays her? Sure. So, Glory the Child is played by Coco Jack Gillies. Gilly. I pulled her IMDb bio. According to whoever wrote this bio, Coco is one of Australia's most accomplished and sought-after young talents. Her long list of credits, which are one short, five TV appearances, and five movie appearances, which are one short, four TV shows, five movies, which includes the lead role of Olivia in the feature film Oddball. It's actually called Oddball and the Penguins from 2015. She was in Mad Max Fury Road as Glory, although the bio lists her as playing Hope, which is wrong, because in the credits of the movie, it says Glory the Child, but anyway, whatever. (laughs) She also does the voice of Maya in the animated feature Maya the Bee, the movie. And for the small screen, she played Emma in the American TV series Camp and Megan Davies in the six-part television series Devil's Playground. Other credits most recently include her role as a mob boss, as the mob boss Kovac in the 2017 web series Skinford. Coco's theater credits include the Australian Shakespeare Company's Wind in the Willows, the Trolleys for ATYP, and 1984 for the Sydney Theater Company. All right, so it sounds like she's got a great career ahead of her. Yeah, she's doing stuff. Starting Doing a little bit of voice acting, doing a little bit of stage acting, movie, TV, you know, getting the full spread. I watched a trailer for Maya the Bee, the movie, And it seems a little similar to A Bug's Life. It's about a precocious little bug who goes off into the wider world. And then the main colony of bugs is threatened by another style of bug. And so she has to rally the creatures from another section to help fight off that other batch. Yeah. So it's pretty much Bug's Life. Yeah. It's Australian. So whatever. So Max is hanging from the grate. He's face to face with Glory here. And she keeps... Speaking to him, where were you? That sort of thing. And as Max is getting distracted by Glory, there's this try-hard war boy trying to impress his buddies. He leaps up onto the wall and then jumps from the wall to Max and grabs him by the leg and pulls him off the grate. So what do you think of that? Well, you seem to think of it with a bit of sarcasm. I don't. If I were a war boy chasing down my prey... I would take that opportunity. It seems pretty obvious. I'm surprised he's the only one that did it. Mm -hmm. I asked what you thought of it because I realized that my tone, we had switched positions. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I was looking at this situation and I was thinking. No, 
Why would you jump up after Max instead of just standing in the water and waiting for him to fall? He's got to have limited hand strength. He can't stay up there all day. Then they run the risk of this guy who has proven that he is very capable of escape, finding a way to open the grate. (laughs) Don't give him time to think. Yeah. Don't give him time to think of his next step. Even if he doesn't open a grate, maybe he'll do something else. Mm -hmm. I think my criticism of this move is one of those hindsight is 2020 type situations because this war boy pulls Max down from the grate. They both fall into the water and we get this shot of Max submerged. And it's actually kind of cool because you get to see the little air bubbles that are caught in the corner of his eyes. And he's looking downwards and Glory is there again. And she's saying other things like, help us. Where were you? Help us. Where were you? All this other stuff. And Glory actually gets a little aggressive with her coloring. She goes from blue to red. And Max, I guess this either scares him or inspires him, but he comes up like Neo in the Matrix sequel and throws the war boys off of him. Yes, and this is, of course, another beautifully set and lit moment. Mm -hmm. The way that the water is lit, it turns a very pretty blue. And with the contrast of the war boys, especially how they're like all in a pile... And the way they get burst out from the center that is Max, it's gorgeous. Something else that I noticed as I'm looking at this cluster of war boys, Max bursts up out of the water. He heads out of the pool. And at first he's able to do so because everybody is so thrown, literally. And we get, as they're piling out of the water now, we get a decent look at a lot of them. And there's a stark difference that I'm noting is that some of them have the black foreheads mm-hmm. and some of them don't. Hmm. And, of course, the black forehead is going to come into play again once we meet Furiosa. And perhaps we leave the discussion for then, but it definitely signifies something. Yeah, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say that a darkened forehead denotes a higher rank. I think so. It's a different class. Mm-hmm. Of war boy, but it extends beyond that because Furiosa is not a war boy. Yeah, she's an Imperator. Yeah. So there must be some sort of leveling system. If you're painted, you're a war boy. If you're unpainted, you're an Imperator. And if you've got the black on your forehead, that you're a higher up war boy sort of thing. Right. Yeah. We'll be able to see a lot of differences when we start seeing more war boys crop up than yes. just what we've got here. Speaking of interesting things cropping up, when Max pulls himself out of the water... There is a war boy that's approaching and he grabs that war boy and throws him up against the wall. But if you're watching this between second 52 and second, I don't know, 55 or something, that three second span, you'll notice there's an odd jump cut. To what end? What do you, I, I don't, I don't see it. So between, okay, so between second 52 and like 55-ish. Okay. You mean as he's getting out of the water? As he's getting out of the water, he rushes up, he grabs the war boy and the cut is when the war boy hits the wall. So you are seeing things that I can't see. It's as if the camera has shifted slightly. Oh. Or it's a different take. And what they did is they lined that cut up with the sound of Max's chains or however he was being tied up. I think they're chains. We'll see him on Friday. Hitting the pipe. And so there's a clang that happens at that cut. And what it does is it just makes it seem a little quicker, a little faster somehow. It just seems off. 
It's not the last time we're going to see something like this. And it's an interesting editing trick. It is, especially considering, and we'll address the elephant in the room, is the pace of this minute. This chase scene. The entire thing is very sped up. And we're not done with it. We're going to keep going. It's the thing where you, like, take out every other frame. Mm -hmm. And we've seen George Miller use it in the past. Sometimes it looks great, sometimes not so much. I think editing technology and camera technology has evolved to the point where it's more reliably fantastic looking. Mm -hmm. In this minute, the sense of chaos and... Anxiety. Yes, anxiety is so palpable. It really takes over this chase scene in its use to fantastic effect. Now, granted, this scene is already pretty anxiety-inducing anyway because... Max is running through narrow corridors and hallways that he does not recognize towards an end that he does not know at all. I'm not a fan of enclosed spaces. I definitely get a sense of anxiety from Max and as a watcher, as I'm viewing this scene, I'd like to know where I'm going. (laughs) And a lot of the time I can be pretty laid back about, oh, if I don't know exactly where I'm going, well, at least I'll head a direction. Here, it's just... There's no way to dictate if you're still headed in the right direction, if you're curving back on your path, if you're going up, if you're going down, or at least it's hard for me to sense that because I'm not walking the plane. But yeah, it's anxiety inducing. And then you take the frames out and it makes it even more frenzied. Yeah. And speaking of frenzy, that's exactly what we have in this pile of war boys that are trying to climb off of each other so that they can continue this chase. And here at the tail end of the minute, Max is off to the next place, leaving them behind. So you'll have to come back on Friday, where we get to see Max, who is already being pursued by the living, but he starts being haunted by the dead as well. So what he said the other day, it starts to come true as he makes his way through a series of doors. But the light at the end of the tunnel, not exactly what it seems. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 5 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.